0: Morning everybody, I spoke at the beginning of the month about being doers of the Word and we're sort of continuing the theme this week but more about that in a minute but let's just pray, we're looking at James again, the book of James or the letter of James whichever you would prefer to call it, let's pray about being doers of the Word Lord Jesus we do pray that your spirit will be upon us Lord we do pray that we will be seven day a week Christians, believers, and that we will be doers of your word. And Lord, we especially pray today as we look at what James tells us about the tongue, Lord, that we will be able to control our tongues with the power of your Holy Spirit working in our lives. So help us, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So, we're looking at, for the the visitors that are here, we're looking at the book of James in a thematic way. And we're continuing today with those themes. The themes that we've covered previously have been perseverance and suffering during trials, wisdom, impartiality, and lastly, as I said on the 1st of May, responding to God's word. And today's theme is controlling the tongue. Now we have, we've been dipping in and out of the different chapters for those that are with us for the first time. We have one main passage concerning this theme and two sections of scripture of just two verses each. And we're going to read those scriptures in the order that they appear. So first of all we go to James 1 verses 26 and 27. James 1, 26 and 27. It would always help, of course, if you know I'm speaking, to read the whole book of James before I come here because it takes about 15 minutes, that's all, to read through the whole book of James. But we're dipping in and out of the scriptures, as you know, and some are connected to previous verses, some are connected to verses that follow, but specifically I'm going to be talking about the tongue today. James 1 26 and 27, first of all, and this is the New King James Version. If any one among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Hold on to that. Go to James 3 now, chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 12. This is our main passage, James 3, 1 to 12. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles and the tongue is a fire a world of iniquity the tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter... From the same opening, can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. And our last passage is James 4, just two verses 11 and 12. James 4, 11 and 12. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law but if you judge the law you are not a doer of the law but a judge there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy who are you to judge another? okay so we look at the scriptures in detail now in the same order that they appear But before we begin, um, I think we can see that the theme of controlling the tongue all begins with a word in James 1.19. You might like to flick back to that, James 1.19. It says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. So we're looking at the exhortation here of being slow to speak. And we're talking about the tongue, remember. James may have obtained this wisdom from the Old Testament, for Solomon wrote in Proverbs 10, verses 19 and 20. I don't know if you want to turn to Proverbs. We've got a few um, references to Proverbs today, so you might like to turn to this. Proverbs 10, and it's verses 19 and the first part of verse 20. Proverbs 10, 19 then. In the multitude of words... Sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous, of the righteous note, is choice silver. Um, Now this reminded me of a a technique that I learned on a management course years ago, um, which was referred to in those days as the coffee strainer technique. I don't know if any of you have heard of this, but um, basically it was um, used by a boss, Um, in a situation with his subordinate, and the boss was the coffee strainer, if you like, he didn't say anything. He restricted his lips, he stopped his lips, um, he didn't say anything. But if he was trying to get to the bottom of a problem and trying to make the subordinate be honest and say, you know, how did this problem arise? Not trying to blame anyone, but just trying to get to the bottom of the problem. Then the idea was to... Um, ask open-ended questions, which you're all aware of, you know, the who, what, why and wherefore and all that business. O- open-ended questions and then let the, the sub- subordinate talk. So just be quiet and let um, the person talk. And if the manager, just imagine what might happen. If the manager says anything, then the manager is giving him a lead that that employee might grab hold of. It might be a, a totally wrong lead, an untruth even, but the the employee or the subordinate might grab hold of that and the situation is no clearer than it was before. So that just reminded me of um, something from my management days, but there you are. It pays to just listen to people and let them say what they want to say. Don't interrupt. Don't give them any leads. Just listen. And then when you've had um, time to assess what they've said then you can add your, um, your comments, of course. Now, um, returning to James, he wisely exhorts us to be slow to speak, which is what i have just trying to be um, uh, demonstrating. And a few verses later expands on the theme of controlling the tongue. So now we turn to verse 26 of chapter 1, where we started, okay? And he says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious... Now we need to explain um, the meaning of that. Here, the word that's used, the Greek word that's used for religious, is more in a sense of one's outward expression in religious ritual and liturgy and ceremony. James could have used a word referring to internal godliness, for example, but in effect he says the finest ritual and liturgy that you can offer to God in service it's, sorry, is service to orphans and widows and personal purity. Real worship in James's eyes was not elaborate vestments and magnificent music, liturgy and pomp and circumstance, if you like, but it was um, the practical service to widows and orphans. That was his example of his practical service to mankind. Now, just to stick with widows and orphans, uh, David speaks about God in this way in Psalm 68.5. He says, a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. But thinking of Jesus, he extends the list of services to mankind in his parable of the sheep and the goats. You might want to refresh your minds about that. It's Matthew 25, 34 to 36. We're just going to read those few verses. Matthew 25, 34 to 36. Sometimes referred to the sheep and the goats, sometimes the Gentiles. I think this is a well-known parable, so you know what's going on. So Matthew 25, 34 to 36 Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. So there you have, if you like, a a wider example of what James is saying about widows and orphans. These are people in need. Thank you, Matthew, for being here today to remind us how people are in need throughout the world. We are called to do our bit, however that may be. You need to seek God's will for that in your own life. But that's the wider service that we're to give to mankind. Now... Just coming back to um, the most splendid worship of God, if you like, there's no problem with external trappings and all the pomp and circumstance and the impeccable liturgy as long as it does what God requires, which which hopefully is to inspire people to love and serve God and their fellow men and to walk in the Holy Spirit, rather rather than in the ways of the world. So nothing wrong with that sort of worship, but we are to serve God in all of those different ways. Verse 36 of James 1 also speaks about sincerity. And this is where the wording of the tongue comes in. If we do not bridle our tongues, we deceive our own hearts and our religion is useless. A bridle here means to take control of or keep a tight rein on and reminds us that purity and sincerity of heart are often revealed by controlled and proper speech. And of course the opposite also um, applies. If our speech is bad, then obviously our hearts are bad. So we look at now um, Jesus' words from Luke 6. 43 to 46 if you want to turn there Luke 6 43 to 46 and our words often reveal what's in our hearts this is what this is all about Luke 6 43 to 46 for a good tree does not bear bad fruit nor does a bad tree bear good fruit for every tree is known by its own fruit For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. That last line, out of the abundance of his heart... His mouth speaks. Now in Matthew's gospel, after the Pharisees had committed the most um, well, the unpardonable sin of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, which indicated a deliberate and irreversible hardness of heart, Jesus adds these words. And you want if you want to look at this, it's Matthew twelve. Matthew twelve, thirty four to thirty seven. Matthew twelve thirty-four. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak. They will give account of it in the day of judgment, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Very serious business this, and we'll see how serious in a minute. Okay, let's move on now to James 3, you might like to flick over in your Bibles to James 3, if you kept your finger there in the first place. <clears throat> we won't read the passage again, but I'll, I'll refer to it virtually verse by verse. So verse 1, James's first concern in this passage is addressed to those who desire to become teachers. And the word used for teachers here is um, a, referring to a person who functions in an official teaching or preaching capacity. It would appear from the text that um, probably too many unqualified believers were coveting the prestige of teaching. Uh, By unqualified I mean without any natural ability and without any spiritual gifting to teach. This warning from James was not meant to discourage true teachers, but to point out the seriousness of the position. James says that teachers, and he includes himself in this, he changes it to we, um, will receive a stricter judgment. There is a stricter judgment for teachers because they have the responsibility to instruct in the facts of the gospel and to build up the church, to edify the church. And their essential instrument in doing this is the tongue teachers can have a great influence for good, or in the case of false teachers, a great influence for evil. Um, Now, an illustration from the Old Testament concerning the truthful presentation of God's word can be seen from Ezekiel, where he is given the responsibility of a watchman for the nation of Israel. It's in uh, Ezekiel 33, verses 7 to 9, if you want to turn there. I'll read it anyway. Ezekiel 33, 7 to 9. This is what the Lord said to Ezekiel. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked man from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked man to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity in exactly the same way, but you have delivered your soul. So a very serious business. Being a teacher, forgive me, Lord, for any mistakes I make. From the New Testament, Paul gives a good account of himself during his third missionary journey when he meets up with the Ephesian elders. You don't need to turn to this, it's one short verse. Um, That's described in Acts 20, verse 26 and 27. But he says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So Paul was confident that he was delivering exactly what uh, God wanted him to deliver, the whole gospel of God. Okay, now verse 2 of James 3, we're back to James 3, verse 2. James states the basis of what um, he said in verse 1, namely that even as believers... Um, We all sin, he uses the word stumble So the reason for stating this is that um, we all stumble, we sin at times And the tongue is the most difficult member of the body to control And just another little quote from Proverbs, if you've still got your finger in that book Chapter 15 this time, chapter 15 and 1 to 4 A soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on evil and the good. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Another one from Proverbs, uh, chapter 13, verse 3, lots in Proverbs, Um, I've got just one more after this. He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide wide his lips shall have destruction. And the last one from Proverbs that I've chosen, um, 26, verse 28, as I say, there's lots in Proverbs about um, the use of the tongue speaking foolishly and the like. Proverbs 26:28, A lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Now, James continues in chapter 3, verse 2, by saying that if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. In other words, he who can control his tongue can control his whole body. And it's unlikely that anyone is able to prevent sinning with the tongue all of the time. And we have to confess our sins and ask Jesus for his forgiveness and cleansing and the strength in his spirit to go forward in his righteousness. We are sinners, but we have a redeemer. Hallelujah. Right, now James 3 verses 3 to 6 um, are all about describing the powerful influence of the tongue. And in verse three, his, his, his illustration is a small bit in the mouth of a horse, which makes um, it obey, the, t- the bit in the, the horse's mouth makes it obey his rider. The whole body can be turned by exerting the, ho- um, the correct pressure on the reins, which can move the bit around. I think that's how it works, I'm not a horseman but um, I gather that's the way it happens. The message is that the person who controls the tongue can control his whole being. The next illustration in verse 4 talks of a small rudder of a ship controlling the whole ship. The ship itself is so much bigger than the rudder and even then notice the ship is driven by strong winds. The tongue is like the rudder of a ship, small in comparison to the whole But in verse 5, notice that, it can boast great things. The tongue, in boasting great things, the tongue is able to influence many people and it can alter the destinies of nations. You've only got to think of some of the the famous orators of old, some of the evil people. Um, I won't mention one that comes to my mind, but um, lots of people have um, stirred up lots of trouble by... Um, the use of the tongue, what they've said. In verse 6, the tongue is likened to a fire with the destructive potential of a forest fire. Now I read about the uh, fire that was raging in Alberta. Is it out, by the way? I've not heard any news about that. I hope it is. Um, A few days into the start of that fire, I read in one newspaper that um, that small spark had destroyed an area the size of Greater London and that was just a couple of days into the fire, I think it went on at least another two days after that. So it's a massive um, course of destruction by just a small spark. So in the first two illustrations, horses and ships are controlled by small objects, whilst the huge forest is destroyed by a tiny spark. The tongue likewise can either control or destroy the flaming tongue can turn brother against brother neighbour against neighbour and nation against nation the tongue can defile or or pollute and contaminate the whole body and it does not stop there the tongue, the evil tongue can affect the whole course of nature it says, which is better translated actually the, the cycle of life um, nothing is free from its evil influence, in other words. It can affect everything that you do, or one does, or people do. At the end of verse 6, the words, it is set on fire by hell, meaning that the tongue is set on fire by hell, is James's way of saying that the source of the evil tongue comes from the devil. And the word used here for hell is Gehenna, or the valley of Hinnom, and um, in Jesus' day this was the valley outside the walls of Jerusalem that was used as a city rubbish dump and it was known for its constantly burning fire. Jesus used the same word to symbolise the eternal place of punishment and torment as recorded in Mark nine forty three to forty eight. We won't go there now, but Mark nine forty-three to forty-eight is where Jesus warns about hell. Okay, now the next section, verses 7 to 12, back to James 3 again. The next section describe the perversity of the tongue. In verse 7, James' idea of taming all the animals probably comes from the account of creation in Genesis 1.28. You may turn there if you wish, I won't stop you. Genesis 1.28 Genesis We have another reference from Genesis coming up as well. God said to Adam and Eve, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The same promise, with slightly different wording, is repeated to Noah and his sons in Genesis 9, verse 2. And this, remember, is after the flood now. He says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Now, to emphasize the continuing aspect of this dominance or control over the animals. James uses the present and perfect tenses in the words, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Now in verse 8, James says that even though man has retained dominion over the animals, because of the fall, not because of the fall he's retained dominion, but what's coming, because of the fall, they've lost dominion over themselves. Thinking especially of the tongue. No man, verse 8, no man can tame the tongue. James follows this up by describing the tongue as an unruly evil, where the word used for evil conveys a meaning of injurious and destructive, full of deadly poison, such as a serpent ready to inject its venom into a victim. No man can tame the tongue, but thanks be to Jesus and his Holy Spirit we can control our tongues. By ourselves, we cannot control our tongues. But as believers in the risen Lord Jesus, God can help us to bring our tongues under control by the power of his indwelling Holy Spirit. In verses 9 and 10, back to um, chapter 3 again of James, James gives another example of the tongue's perversity in its inconsistency. With the same tongue we bless our God and Father and we curse men who are made in God's image. James infers that as a man is made in the image of God, are we not cursing God when we curse man? My brethren, James says in verse 10, these things ought not to be so. Note that the word... A brethren there means that he's speaking to believers, he's not speaking to the unsaved. And although we have the potential for controlling the tongue by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, are we appropriating his power? Are we asking God to cleanse us in that area if we're suffering, if we're slipping? We have to have the desire for living a truly righteous life for Christ, Like so many other things in our walk with Jesus, we have to have that desire. We need to be fully submissive and surrendered to his will for us. And as I said um, about responding to God's word at the beginning of the month, I say again now we need, and Tom's already reflected on this earlier, we need to crucify ourselves daily and take up our cross and follow Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be obedient to your word and your commands. Our tongue should be used consistently, consistently to praise God and express love and kindness to other people. Now, in true form with the Bible, we have instances of mighty men of God being inconsistent with their tongues. And I've pulled out two examples to um, show you what I mean. Um, these examples are no doubt there to teach us, to encourage us, not to excuse us, um, but to show that uh, we can make mistakes, that they do happen. Matthew twenty-six thirty-five. it's probably not worth t- turning to this, but this is about um, Peter denying Christ. In verse 35 of chapter 26 in Matthew, just before Jesus was arrested, Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And um, 39 verses later, on his third denial, we're told by Matthew's um, statement about this, that Peter began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. There we are. Um, Another example is John, sometimes known as the apostle of love. He was one with his brother when the Samaritans did not receive Jesus. And they said to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? That's from Luke nine fifty four. If you want to read the account of Elijah, that's in 2 Kings chapter 1. And 102 men die in that situation. Fire is brought down from heaven and 102 men die. Okay. Um, now, moving on in verses 11 and 12, James uses three examples from nature to illustrate and emphasise the point he is making about inconsistency. Putting it in a positive way, he makes these three points. A spring will naturally carry fresh water only, a fig tree will only bear figs and a grapevine will only bear grapes. His conclusion then, inferred from this, is that the genuine believer will not con- contradict his profession of faith by the regu- regular use of unwholesome words, perhaps the occasional one that we can ask forgiveness for. But um, we should be like those um, examples from nature, if we really believe in the Lord Jesus. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul, charging the believers not to grieve the Holy Spirit, says in chapter 4, verse 29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. We're saved by grace, we're kept by grace, we should speak with grace. And now we come to our third and final passage from James, concerning controlling of the tongue. I think we read this one again as it's been a while since uh, we read this one. Just two verses, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother, speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? Um, Just a word of warning here. Um, If you have an NIV version, I've been been using the New King James all the way through, the NIV uses the word slander in verse 11, whereas the New King James uses the word to speak evil of, or the word that means to speak evil of. And um, just to get the difference, the word slander is to make false charges or misrepresentations that damage the reputation of another person. And it's suggested that slander is too strong a word to use here. The, word, the Greek word um, where slander comes from is diabolos. And if you've ever come across the English word diabolical, you know exactly where that comes from, don't you? Um, the word to speak evil of comes from the Greek verb, and I don't know if this is the right way of pronouncing it, of uh, backbiting, and the word is katalelos. So it's different. Um, and that refers to any form of speaking against somebody else. Now, that could be true in its content, could be true, um, but it means that it's harsh and unkind and, um, in, a ma- in, in the manner of its presentation. So it could be true, but it's a harsh word, if you like. But we shouldn't speak against our brothers. So James's readers seem to have fallen into the habit of criticising one another. I think that's the inference from this passage. And James goes on to say that if you criticise your brother, you are judging him, which in turn means you are speaking against the law and judging the law. The law referred to here is probably love your neighbour as yourself. A person cannot love his neighbour as himself if he speaks evil against his neighbour. Therefore, James reasons, he is breaking the law. And if a man breaks the law knowingly, he sets himself above the law. That is to say, he's made himself a judge of the law. So verse 12, James effectively says, In passing judgment on a fellow believer, you have usurped God's authority, for he is the only lawgiver and judge. That God is able to save and destroy is proof that he is in a position to enforce the law, rewarding those who keep it and punishing those who violate it. We have no such um, proof that we can do that. So who are we to find fault with others, with our harsh, unkind and critical spirits? So, to conclude this study on the theme of controlling the tongue, what do we learn from James? Briefly, The first exhortation from James is really being swift to hear and slow to speak. A modern idiom might be to engage our brain before opening our mouths. Remember that we've been saved to serve. James gives the example of widows and orphans, but it's a much wider thing than that. It's our neighbours, whoever we come across, and especially our brothers here, brothers and sisters that is. Our mouths speak really is what in our hearts, so are we in a right relationship with God and with each other? Let us remember the powerful influence of the tongue. It can either control or destroy. It can bring good or evil. Let us remember that no man can tame the tongue, but with the help of the Holy Spirit and our desire and willingness the tongue can be controlled. And let us perhaps bite our tongues before we bite the backs of our brethren and repent of any evil thoughts before they become words. Now, I read somewhere, I don't think this is in the Bible, I've, I've had a look, but I read somewhere that um, there are three things that cannot be recovered. A spoken word, a spent arrow, and a lost opportunity. Now forget the arrow, I don't know if there's any archers here, but we forget the arrow for the time being. But a spoken word, you can't retract it when it's been spoken. And a lost opportunity, we might lose opportunities. You know, if we're meant to love our neighbor and to speak kindly to our neighbors, as well as praising God with the same tongue, we may be losing opportunities if we're a bit harsh with others. So let's um, pray that we may bite our tongues a bit more often, perhaps. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your Holy Spirit. What could we do without your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus? We thank you and praise you. Help us, Lord, not to curse men. Help us, Lord, to hold our tongues. Teach us in this way, Lord, to be doers of your word. Help us, Lord to praise you and to be kind to others. We pray that this may reflect some of what's in you that's in us, Lord, that others will say, what has that person got that I haven't? Help us, Lord, to be your witnesses, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.